Hey, I'm Lee Kasumba, and this is our journey across Africa, navigating the intricate landscapes of business, culture, and global influence from the African perspective. Africa Whisperer, telling authentic African stories in a global way. On this episode of the Africa Whisperer. Um, I think now the perceptions have changed because when you look at um, a South African company here that's popular, <laughs> Stearns, they're also, they've also fallen to a place where they're selling affordable rings. So everybody's now trying to um, cater to the market and ensure that they're selling affordable rings because that's um, the biggest market. That's the biggest consumer in terms of jewelry in Zambia. It's not really the perception that people want diamonds and gold. It's really that people want something they can afford within their budget. Every so often you meet someone who is so passionate and so purposed that it makes you feel re-energized. Award-winning entrepreneur Cheetah Mumbazulu is a perfect example of this type of person. She's a firecracker in the best possible way and has the sort of courage it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. As co-founder of Eternal Jewelry, she has found her space in the million-dollar African wedding industry where she has beautiful quality rings and wedding bands at affordable prices for the working class. We talk about perceptions around jewelry, doing business in Zambia, and educating your potential markets in order to be able to convert them to customers. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and the insights shared by Cheetah are priceless. Here's how it all went down. Cheetah, I'm so excited to be able to speak to you on the Africa Whisperer. You're the first person from Zambia being able to have on this podcast, so I'm super amped. Welcome to the Africa Whisperer. I hope that you're having an amazing day. I am. Thank you so much for having me. One of the reasons why I really wanted to have this conversation is that I obviously love to speak to people who are doing awesome things, building great businesses and telling dynamic stories through their businesses about Africa. But I was like, I kept on thinking, I need to, I wonder if any Africans are into jewelry. I kept on thinking and then I Googled, Googled and you came up and I'm like, this lady seems like a fire starter, like a firecracker. So I was just like, we had to have this conversation. Um, so I wanted to know, before we get into your business and what you're doing with Eternal Jewelry and so forth, I want to kind of get into the background and your upbringing, because I feel that often that kind of informs who we are as people. So can you tell us a little bit about how you grew up, you know, what kind of family you had, were they entrepreneurial, um, and did you grow up in, in, in Zambia most of the time? Okay, so I was born in Zambia and I left Zambia at the age of six. Um, my first stop was Botswana because my mom's a nurse and I lived there for about 10 years and then from there I was in the UK where I lived for about 13 years and kind of still live there actually. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so growing up, I always wanted to become an entrepreneur. And um, my mom's not entrepreneurial, but my aunt, um, God rest her soul, um, she was very entrepreneurial. And everybody used to say, wow, you really got her spirit. Because <laughs> she's the only one, like one of the only ones in the family who was super, super entrepreneurial. And um, when I was 16, when I was still in Botswana, I really, really wanted to become an entrepreneur because I thought that was like, 
um, the route to financial freedom and just freedom in life generally. So I started with reading um, Robert Kiyosaki. So that's where everything began. I was so obsessed with that book and I was like, oh my gosh, I love what he's saying. This is the life I want to have. <laughs> it took a while to actually start off like becoming an entrepreneur because sometimes you don't really know where some things are going to come from when you're going to start them. So I'm 16 and then um, I moved to the UK when I'm 18. I was in Zambia for about a year and a half. So I moved to the UK when I'm 18 and um, I start going to sixth form, which is um, the class before you go to university to get your A-levels. When I was done with my A-levels, I think that's where everything started off. I was like, okay, I don't know what to do next. Um, what am I going to study? Uh, and then I had an issue with, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with how the immigration works in the UK. So you're now in the country and you need to renew your residence permit or you need to apply for indefinitely to remain. And sometimes they keep your passport for a year, six months, and you can't go to uni without your passport. Yes. So that's where everything began for me. I think I was home for about um, two to three years, I believe. In, in the UK doing, doing nothing. nothing? Yes. And it's at that point where everything really wow. ignited in me. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I know people used to tell me, no, do this job, do that job. And I was like, but I don't want to do any of those. I don't want to do any of those. And so one day I braided my hair and my friend was like, okay, uh, who braided your hair? I was like, I did. And then I began my entrepreneurial journey. I started braiding people's hair. Obviously, that's like self-employment. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I was like, yeah, I really took it very seriously. I would be braiding like the whole day I'm out braiding. I'll come back home in the evening. The following day I'm out braiding, come back home in the evening. And then um, I eventually went to uni in my first degree in 20, I think that was 2012. Yeah, in 2012. Yeah, that's wow. when I started my first degree. You know what I love about this? Just going back to the braiding real quick. Like I have friends um, who are based like in the States and, and all of that. And they say somebody was quoting how much people charge for braids. And I'm like, I would never pay that. Shit. They're like, when you go there, people would normally charge like you're paying like over $200, whatever. For I'm like, that cannot even it be is real. <laughs> so I'm sure you were getting I quite was, a bit of money. Yes, in. <laughs> it was so helpful. And then I was also starting to feel a bit more dignified because I was helping at home, helping my mom with the bills. <laughs> Yes, and then um, when I went to uni, I still continued because obviously there are lots of bills at uni apart from your school, your school fees mm -hmm. and stuff. And my friend, yeah. I actually met a friend of mine and um, to find that she could also braid. So during the weekends, and we went to the same university, same classes and everything. So during the weekend, we would braid, like we'd spend the whole weekend braiding, one person after the other, one person after the other, because we thought, you know what, we can't be broke, we need to pay rent. <laughs> And uh, uh, my last degree, my degree ended in 2015. I went back, that was in London. I went back to Birmingham. That's where my mom lives. And um, I continued braiding, trying to figure out what I was going to do. So the trick here is that I studied theology, yeah? Theology and worship. And after that, everybody was going to become a teacher because theology is like linked to teaching for whatever reason. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a teacher. So I had another dilemma. I'm like, okay, so what am I supposed to do next? 
And um, then I started working for Staples. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. They're a stationary company. And um, uh, in the evenings, I still used to braid. It was hectic. <laughs> I would come back from work, go straight to um, a client, braid their hair, and go home. Every day, that was my life. Weekends, I'm braiding. Sundays, I'd go to church. But um, within that time... <laughs> Within that time, I was still like, I know there's still something out there for me to maybe start selling or a service to start offering because braiding is really tiring. And I got to a place where I was like, okay, I'm really tired now. What can I do? And I literally would always be on the internet looking for a product all the time. Even now, that's just my life. I love research. I'm always online looking for a product, looking for something that I can offer that I can start another business or start another company, that kind of thing. Um, so in 2015, I went for my second degree because I was tired of working at Staples. I was bored and I was like, I can't keep braiding. It's just too tiring. And I studied town planning. From there, I, I became a planner, but I was still braiding. And then it's during that period in 2017 when I came for a cousin's wedding in September. And I had been doing some research online and I came across some rings. And for some reason, this was a product that just clicked with me. It just made sense. Everything just fell into place. And I was like, okay, this is the thing I need to go and try. I purchased a number of them. I think I got like 30 pieces, like engagement rings. And at the time, they were like silver plated rings. Because I was like, okay, let me just try it. And let me use um, the least amount of capital as possible. And I think I spent about $35 or something like that. And then um, I came to Zambia. And my friend, who's now my business partner, she runs a page called Bright in Zambia, and it has like over 400,000 Zambian followers. So that's where I was ad advertising the rings. And from the moment they were placed on the page, the demand was crazy. And that's when I knew, okay, this is it. This is it. I need to make this work. Wow. Well, I love so many bits about your story. Um, it's clear that you are somebody who's a serial entrepreneur. So I'm really sure like not long from now, we're <laughs> going to hear about another amazing business. But I'm also kind of curious. I think that maybe now it's a little bit more acceptable for people to be, especially, you know, as mm -hmm. Africans, our parents, blah, blah, blah. It's more acceptable to be an entrepreneur. But what, what was your mom thinking? You finish a degree and then you're like, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't want to teach, you know, because I'm sure there were quite a lot of sacrifices that went into you being in the UK. Mom, you know, like all African parents, they wanted, they want you, obviously now they're evolving, they wanted us to be doctors, nurses, <laughs> teachers, um, jobs that are in offices that are giving you a stable income. And um, when I actually, when I went for my theology and worship degree, she was like, this is not making sense. How is this going to work? What job are you going to get after this? And then I came back home. I think because I was braiding and still making money, I think it was a bit easier after that. She was like, oh, okay, cool, that's okay. And then um, then when I came back home again, I was working with the other company. But then she had lots of moments where she was like, okay, what is she doing? Because even when I decided in 2019 that I was coming to Zambia, quitting my job and coming to Zambia to to manage the business full time she's like but what are you doing <laughs> but now she's super proud of me she's like oh yeah great amazing my daughter <laughs> But now, Cheetah, I'm so um, I'm really interested because I don't I'll be very honest. I don't really know a lot about how things work in Zambia and how easy it is to start a business, to get the right kind of people working with you to do marketing and so forth. Would you say that in Zambia it is 
it's good breeding ground for businesses. Are a lot of young people interested in the in, in starting their own businesses? Would you say that there are support systems there? Zambia has got like like you say, it's like an amazing breeding ground for business for making money. There's so many opportunities. You just have to look and realize that okay, this is the the right opportunity for me. Um, in terms of support, I'm I wouldn't say. The support from people once they realize that what you're just selling is genuine and um, it's affordable for them, they're just going to be jumping on it. But then in terms of financial support and all that kind of stuff, I think it's slightly harder. You have to start applying for um, funding outside the country, you know, those funding um, opportunities that always come across here. Yeah, I think there's so many opportunities in Zambia and a lot of young people are forced to become business people because the job market is saturated and you have no choice but to start selling something. If you're not selling a product, you have to sell a service, but a product is usually easier. Now let's get into more into the jewelry business because I really, I mean, I love love my jewelry. I love it. <laughs> I mean, I wish I was you and I could just wake up every day and look at these beautiful rings and be like, they're mine. They're all mine. So w- starting the, the the actual jewelry business, I, I want to understand like, because you said it's affordable um, engagement rings and wedding rings, right? So w- when you say affordable, like what kind of stones are you using? What are you, what are you using? And, and do the rings actually last? Um, so when, as I said, when I started, I was selling silver plated rings, but eventually I was like, okay, I need to start selling something that's going to be, people can be proud of wearing it and say, okay, I've worn this for 10 years. I've worn this for 20 years. So I came across a supplier in the UK who had some really beautiful rings, sterling silver and tungsten. That's the reason our rings are really affordable because we mostly use sterling silver and tungsten and sometimes stainless steel, which is what makes our rings really affordable because those metals are quite affordable, but they're also quite durable. And um, we've got, um, since it's been almost six years now, we've got people who've been wearing our rings for about five years and we still maintain a relationship with those people. And they're like, oh my gosh, my ring is still sparkling. And we also offer after sales care. So if you need to polish your ring, we actually have a provision for two free polishes in a year to make sure that your ring is looking good all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. So I know that when you're in, in the Southern African region, when it comes to jewels and minerals, we're, we're not short of that at all. And everybody's always thinking, like, I need to get a diamond. I need to get, you know, there's, there's like an idea of what it means to have an engagement ring and to have a wedding ring. So now you're bringing something else into the market. Where did you get the idea to have these types of rings being brought into the market? Was it while you were in the UK? And also how much education did you have to do in the Zambian market to get people to understand that you know these rings are are really beautiful too well the first two years were horrendous hectic (laughs) would have people say oh my goodness um your rings are so cheap it's what i can afford okay so what i find is even though in southern africa we're obsessed with diamonds and gold not everybody can afford that the majority of people can't afford that and that's the reason why when i brought these rings that were going for let me just make a quick calculation uh that were going for about $17 and um, people were jumping on them. I knew that the market was ready to receive affordable rings because that's what the majority of the people need here in, in Zambia. Most people are uh, working and uh, getting a certain amount of money and they can't afford to buy diamonds or gold. But what we can give them is an alternative and that's what we're giving them. Something that will last for five, 10, 25 years, depending on how much care they give um, 
the rings or their jewelry. And also, because it's so affordable, we have people who are changing mindsets and people are buying rings every other month. And you find that a lot of our customers, the ladies have like multiple rings. Today they're wearing that ring, tomorrow they're wearing that ring because they love the quality, they love um, the designs, which are also very unique. Uh, most of our collection is filled with unique designs that are not available anywhere in the country. So when it comes to the rings, do you do you actually design them in Zambia or how does that work? How do you get the stock, should I say? Okay, so at the moment we've uh, got partners in the UK and in China because uh, our long-term goal is to be able to have a factory here in Zambia whereby obviously we're providing more employment and also quickly sourcing and providing the product whenever there is so much demand because the demand is quite um, is quite high. And also uh, it's part of setting uh, up the company to being very unique, having um, rings readily available right here in the country. So for now, we've got partners in, in China and in, um, in the UK and we've built relationships with them over time now let's let's go back to you said about how when you went to i think you you were saying about you you went to zambia and your friend had the she had like a big platform of people brides in zambia i believe it is <laughs> you know four hundred thousand people in terms of marketing when it came to just finding a partner because i i from some of the research that i done it, it looks like you and your friend decided to start this business together so for people who are starting businesses how important would you say that collaborations are um in terms of being able to get your dream off the ground because I'm sure that that having you know access to her clients really made quite a big difference for your business. Oh yeah, it really did. I think it's about being strategic. For example, for the better part of the past um, five six years, I've been in the UK for three to four years, and so I needed somebody else who was within the country to facilitate certain things like customers calling. Because it wasn't enough anymore for customers because we got to a point where WhatsApp wasn't enough. Customers wanted to speak to someone and the dilemma would have been, okay, I don't have anybody. But for whatever reason, we had been friends prior to that moment when I started um, the business from the idea. And um, because we had built up trust and we would learned to understand each other, I think it was a very easy um leap for me to make to say okay this is a person that i want to partner with in this business she's readily available and she's very good with customer service and that's where for me the partnership made sense so having a partner is quite important if it's going to um, advance your business if it's going to advance your plan and make sure that your business continues continues to live on because if obviously if you're outside the country you can't do everything you need somebody who's within the country so you have to look at it from that point how is this partnership going to benefit the business is this something that's going to help the business grow or is this something that's going to hinder um, the business from growing because you can't just partner with anybody you have to understand that okay this person i think preferably sometimes you need to have known the person for a certain period of time before you get into a partnership to ensure that you are aligned in, in certain values, understanding that uh, this is how we're going to treat customers, this is how we're going to treat business money. Yeah. That kind of stuff. And, and you had mentioned about how it was on WhatsApp. Uh, people were speaking to the business on WhatsApp and then that did, that wasn't enough anymore. So I can imagine that um, with the way that the business has grown so exponentially, yeah. you mm-hmm. also had to, I mean, do you have physical stores? Mm-hmm. Um, how does that all work? And just even getting the right people to work with you um, at those physical mm-hmm. stores. So in 2018, we got our first physical store. It was um, 
in an obscure <laughs> area in a little it was so little it was little and we really couldn't understand at the time like people are still coming they're coming to find this little place and they're still buying <laughs> our ring um so <laughs> So in 2017, we were in uh, my aunt's shop and because at the time we just needed a place where customers could also collect their products or their parcels. So we had my aunt, she's uh, in the central business district. So it was quite easy and convenient. So we'd give, um, send the rings to her store and then customers would go and pick them up. But then there came a point where we were like, okay, I think we need our own space. We need our own um, employee to ensure that everything is working smoothly. So finding our first employee was quite difficult because my partner doesn't live in Lusaka. Even then she didn't live in Lusaka, she was in Livingston. We still needed somebody right here in Lusaka because a lot more demand was from Lusaka. So we started looking at getting a place and then Getting a place was easier than actually thinking of getting an employee because it's like, who are we going to get? Are they going to be trustworthy? Because both of us are actually not in, in the area. We can't even monitor what they're doing. So the first person that we had interviewed actually lived um, out of town and they were going to come and live in Lusaka. And then, so what we had discussed is come through for, for an interview because my partner was going to come to Lusaka as well to interview the person. And we sent her transport money and everything, and she never showed up. <laughs> so we're like, <laughs> she ran with your transport money? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> it wasn't much, though. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, okay, excuse me, what are we going to do? Um, hmm, hmm. So we came um, across, my mom was recommending, oh, okay, um, one of my uh, cousins, she was like, okay, why don't you get her? I think she would be a very good fit. So after looking and looking and looking and like, okay, let's just see how it's going to go. Let's try her. So we got in touch with her and we asked her to send her, send us the CV. And I think, I think we just felt like, okay, this is the right decision as well. And we got her on board. Bear in mind, none of us were within when she was getting everything set up. Um, I think my partner came down for a bit, but everything was on her shoulders. And she managed it so well, like customers would come in and everything would be going smoothly. So it just made sense to us. And we're so grateful to have found somebody who was trustworthy, who was loyal, who was kind to the customers. And um, we didn't, we just really don't take it for granted. She's now um, the shop manager at our store in um, the central business district. We only have one physical store and then the rest we facilitate through deliveries out of town or outside the country. And we've also built a network or built a network of agents, people who will check our customer sizes, even though uh, because not everybody can come to Lusaka. So it's best. And also in order to make quicker sales, you need to be able to facilitate something quickly like finding out somebody's ring size, that shouldn't stand in the way of uh, making a sale. So we have these agents in different towns and areas of Zambia, and they check our customer sizes. And as soon as they find out their size, we begin to uh, make the sale. I was actually going to ask just about the ecosystem of the business as a whole, right? Um, because one of the things with rings, like I'm somebody who's got very small fingers. Rings never fit me. I'm always looking. I'm like, I'm like, this is, I'm telling people, I'm like, that's not going to fit. They're like, it will. I'm like, it's not. And then it falls right off. So because you're bringing the stock in, how are you facilitating the, adjusting the ring sizes and, and outside of the, the person who's running the shop, who are the other people? People that are important to your business what is the ecosystem of your business 
Okay, so um, the agents are really instrumental in ensuring that sizes are correct. Uh, we have actually, we send them an instrument to check sizes with to ensure that the size is accurate. And at any point, I think the challenge of size is that sometimes our customers feel like they know it all. <laughs> so they'll be like, look, this finger. So for example, somebody's in Lusaka, the, the gentleman is in Lusaka and the lady is in Ndola or something like that. And the, the trick now becomes he wants to propose as a surprise. So he doesn't even want her to go to our Ndola agent. He wants to guess. He'll be like, oh, she's the size of my pinky finger. <laughs> <laughs> and so we find it, I think that's one of our biggest challenges. And no matter how much you try to convince them, like, look, just let them go find out their ring size. It's better the size is right than regretting that the size is not right. So we do offer, in case um, the ring doesn't fit, we do offer an exchange, an exchange period. And if the customer has exceeded the exchange period, they can have the ring resized by our jeweler, the person who... Um, who repairs the rings, who polishes the rings and also resizes them. Currently we have, um, I think uh, we have four sales, sales personnel that um, work from the store itself because it does get uh, quite uh, busy. So we needed as many people as possible. And you, you wouldn't believe it that that's not even enough sometimes. <laughs> so um, it's really challenging. So we have four people that work in sales and then we have two people that work in marketing. And then we have obviously the shop manager, the lady who began with us from 2018. Then we have my partner who deals mainly, she's an HR expert, expert because she studied HR. So she deals with all the HR stuff. And then she also deals with customer service and sales because she's really good at that. And then um, I deal in marketing, I deal in the PR, branding kind of side of things, and I also help with the marketing. Would you say it's capital in intensive? Like, was it capital intensive to start the business and running the business? Starting it wasn't. Keeping it running is quite capital intensive. We need a lot of capital in, in order to ensure that we have enough designs in all the sizes that are required so that whenever a customer walks in, they, they, they're able to purchase something without walking away. So it's definitely capital intensive. And uh, yeah, so it is quite capital intensive. In the beginning, it was um, not as, but now as the demand is always increasing, we have um, the challenge of keeping enough sizes and enough designs so that every time a customer walks in, they're able to purchase something. Cheetah, I'm really curious to find out about the team and the workforce and who you would say is the most valuable player or the most important part of your team for Eternal Jewelry. So um, I don't know if there's such a thing as the most important. I think we're all most important because we have our agents. Our agents are cardinal to ensuring that our customers from outside town are able to get their ring sizes and get accurate ring sizes in order for us to facilitate a sale. And then we have um, four sales personnel within the store, which is located at Central Park Cairo Road. Uh, we have four sales personnel and sometimes it's actually so busy that they're overwhelmed and then we have two marketing personnel and um, these guys are instrumental in ensuring that we're out there um, within Lusaka, within Zambia, if we must go outside Zambia, uh, ensuring that we're attending the correct or the right events, ensuring that um, we're just getting ourselves out there and then we have our shop manager, that's the lady that we started or hired in 2018 and um, 
of course, I have, we have my business partner who is um, a professional HR and she deals with everything HR, everything to do with um, salaries. And she's also good with sales and customer service. And then I deal with marketing mostly. And then I do touch a bit of sales and um, branding and PR. Even when you talk about just having salaries, I think that as an entrepreneur, one that's one of the scariest times of the month. <laughs> You're kind of like, oh my gosh, I really hope that we make this. What have been some of the toughest months from that perspective, from salaries and, and keeping people on board and, and making sure that you're not having a high rotation of staff going in and out? Because I know that that's one of the biggest challenges for entrepreneurs. I think sometimes, or maybe... I'd say during the pandemic period, I think that's the time that we had the challenge of deciding, okay, are we keeping, because I think we, we had like about nine members of staff and we had to let go of some and then because of performance issues. And then we also had um, some that dropped off because they had other obligations and stuff like that. But also looking at the pandemic and thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to meet ourselves target today, this month? If we don't, we still have to pay. <laughs> we still have to pay these ladies. And um, yeah, I think that was the most challenging time. And But we tried our best to ensure that we were making um, ourselves target. But the support from our customers was quite overwhelming. And they tried their best to also still come through. You know, we had issues where if there's a scare in, in the store that somebody might have tested positive, you have to shut down, you have to spray. And then you're starting to think about, okay, how is this going to affect our bottom line? How is this going to affect our salaries? But I think um, more or less, I think we're doing really well. We've done really well. We've always ensured that our employees are paid because they're so important to us. Let's, let's shift gears, pardon sure. me, to the cost of the rings. Like, what are the ranges of the cost of mm -hmm. the rings? I mean, you had spoken a little bit earlier in this conversation around getting different designs that were unique. Would you happen to know what, what they're using to make the rings and, and all of that? So what are the, the price ranges and how, how, is it, how does it get differentiated? It's very, very important that um, if I'm speaking to a supplier, they understand that I'm looking for something that's um, durable. They understand that I'm going to ask them questions like, is there nickel? When you, you, you start the manufacturing process, do you use nickel? Because some people are allergic to nickel, that kind of thing. So um, at the stage where I'm at with the suppliers, we're very um, sure about um, ensuring that the rings that we have we use sterling silver, we use tungsten, and sometimes we use um, stainless steel. And then we also have gold, um, that's original authentic gold. Uh, but obviously what sells the most for us is the sterling silver and tungsten because it's super affordable. And the price ranges of that would be? So our price range would begin or start from 29 to $30, which is maybe an engagement ring that's made of sterling silver or maybe a male band which is made of tungsten and then it goes all the way up to about uh, $1,000 and above depending on what a customer would like because everybody has different budgets right but we do get like customers who want a customized ring made of um, gold maybe 9k 14k sometimes they want diamonds and we do and we do deliver with that sometimes we deliver from our local jeweler as well. And one of the things that I think is possibly a success in your business is that you, you literally found a gap in the market. You know, what I think exactly. is, is genius about what you're doing is that you're meeting people at exactly at their point of need. And especially in Africa, weddings are mm -hmm. big business already. It's, it's crazy business. 
Weddings happen even during weekdays. On Saturdays and Sundays, I don't know how many people are getting married around the country, but there are a lot. And then you find that maybe if their first marriage didn't work out, they're still going to get married again later and they'll still need rings. And then they're like, oh, okay, we want the EJ ring. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There was actually a customer who was telling me um, the other day that, um, no, actually, um, our property manager at the office was telling me that he met a friend buying a ring, another engagement ring, even though he was previously married. <laughs> so the market is um, is quite ripe. It's quite good. And we're doing our very best to meet the demand um, to ensure that we have unique um, unique designs. So in South Africa, mm-hmm. I always had the view mm-hmm. of, um, you know, it was the usual stores that people were going to, like Browns and all of them, not to give them free advertising. But, you know, I yeah. real, I remember when mm-hmm. I'm being in Ghana, one of my friends was getting married and when we walked into a store and we went to go buy um, the wedding bands, I was actually quite surprised at the price of it. Yeah. And then as I was preparing for this interview, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what the model is. This is what Cheetah's doing um, with regards to eternal mm-hmm. jewelry, you know? Mm-hmm. So it seems like in, in West Africa, yeah. it's more, it's, it's something that is more prevalent um, that you can go into jewelry stores get beautiful mm-hmm. rings and all of that and it's it's definitely more affordable yeah. uh, you know so I was like that really opened yeah. my eyes as I was preparing for this interview because now I, I realize why the rings you know didn't cost what I think that they would but I had the perception from South Africa yeah. um, you know more than anything mm-hmm. else so would you say the perceptions are the same in, in Zambia um, I think now the perceptions have changed because when you look at um, a South African company here that's popular, <laughs> Stearns, they're also, they've also fallen to a place where they're selling affordable rings. So everybody's now trying to um, cater to the market and ensure that they're selling affordable rings because that's um, the biggest market. That's the biggest consumer in terms of jewelry in Zambia. It's not really the perception that people want diamonds and gold. It's really that people want something they can afford within their So the one thing is when it comes to expansion of the business, uh, what would you say the next steps are in terms of expanding the business? The main thing right now is to um, really dig our heels deep into the Zambian market. And then after that, whilst we're doing that, we want to start um, preparing to open the factory by the grace of god <laughs> uh hopefully maybe in the next three to five years we'll have a factory and that's when we would want to expand within the sadic region by offering um wholesale prices and you know what else when you were saying about how some of the bigger um you know uh chain stores or the, the south african brands that are in mm-hmm. uh, jewelry stores that are in zambia i heard something and i don't know if it's something that you would mm-hmm. know about but you know about how the whole idea about diamonds yeah. being as precious as they I was part of like this great marketing campaign <laughs> because at the end of the day diamonds are just coal you know <laughs> so I ju- it just shows you how much like there's a lot yes. of marketing and branding that went into it I won't mention the other company because they definitely have to pay money um, but you yeah. know like when, when as researching this <laughs> yeah. I'm like that's so interesting it's like with, with the whole thing with how the term breakfast is the most important meal of the day that came from Kellogg's just trying to get people to have cereal and the same thing as with diamonds that was literally an entire marketing campaign because before that they weren't seen as, um, you know, as valuable as what they are now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I think also it's about um, they control like the number of diamonds that are on the market to ensure that the price is high. And just one other thing I wanted to ask, just in general, you know, when we look at market sizes, 
Zambia is one of the smaller countries within within the continent, you know. Is there anything that you think the people outside, are, you know, in the rest of the continent are missing from Zambia? Because I remember when I was interviewing Mr. Easy, he literally went on about how Zambia is one of his favorite places. He he could not stop about how that was one of his favorite places and it wasn't, you know, a lot was not known about Zambia. For you as a Zambian, what do you wish that people knew culturally about the country, that people knew about what was going on that would that would kind of, you know, put Zambia even further up on the map in terms of um, culture, culture in Africa? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> it's a very hard question <laughs> for me. I think everybody thinks um, the only place to visit in Zambia is Victoria Falls. But actually, um, there's a new campaign starting up that's starting to um, advertise our other waterfalls because Zambia is rich in waterfalls. I think I'm in a group where there's a gentleman who's um, an expert on waterfalls in Zambia, and there are over 100 waterfalls in the country. And so I, I would say that's the part I think needs to be communicated more. Um, I think last year, April, I took um, a trip, a road trip with my, my niece, and we went to the northern part of the country and we saw incredible waterfalls. On the way to the last point, we saw about four of them. And they're all amazing. They're all beautiful and they're all worth seeing. So I would say explore a little more. Don't go to Victoria Falls. Find other places because um, there are lots of places to visit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cheetah, it's been really awesome speaking to you. If people are outside of Zambia or the SADC region, you know, because I, I think you have agents in Namibia and Botswana and in Zimbabwe. If they're outside of that and they want to be able to get mm -hmm. your rings, is that a possibility? Mm -hmm. How can they engage with your business more? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we sent our rings as far as um, is it Texas, and we've sent them. We sent them. I think Zimbabweans are really yeah. The Zimbabweans are really good customers, and then also the Malawians are really good customers. We use DHL as long as the customer is okay with paying delivery cost, we send them. And usually, uh, Malawi and Zimbabwe they use Western Union, and Malawi sometimes uses mobile money because I think there's a provision for that. Um, Botswana. We were actually in Botswana in April this year. Yeah, so DHL is really good and we always use it to send to anybody who's outside the country. If anybody needs to contact us, they can contact us on plus two six zero nine seven four five eight three four two three. The customer service agent will be able to advise any number that they need. Maybe they need our Namibian agent number, or maybe they need to know how they can send their payment, or maybe they need to find out how to get their ring sizes measured. Then um, that's the number to use, plus 260-974-583423. Cheetah, thank you so much for just having this conversation and being so open and so warm about sharing the information. I feel with regards to this conversation, I learned so much about just jewelry and the possibilities of what can be done and doing business in Zambia. But more than that, I feel as though many people will be able to learn and to glean in from some of the lessons and the things that you've shared when it comes to running their businesses across sectors. So thank you very much for your time and for being our first guest from Zambia on the Africa Whisperer. Uh, thank you so much for having and me. And we're looking forward to finding out more about the factory. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, you know, the factory comes into play really soon yeah. and you get the investors and yeah, all that you absolutely. need. Because, yeah, I think that what you're doing is 
pretty amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so You're much. amazing too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Africa Whisperer. I hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with my esteemed guest. Please, if you want to find out anything more about the podcast, go to theafricawhisperer.com where you can find out about the team that helps put this production together, my amazing guests that we have each and every week, as well as send any feedback that you might have by emailing hello at the Africa Also remember to follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter as Lee Kasumba. Catch you next time. Thanks.